Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Welcome. We're here tonight really on the occasion of the 10th film that Ang Lee and James Seamus uh, worked on together. And it's, it's a remarkable body of work. I think if you see Less Caution, or I'm sure many of you have seen it already, um, it's an amazing film. And at the heart of that movie are two unbelievable performances. And I think it's been said many times about Ang Lee that he's an actor's director. He was, um, at, actually had his training as an actor, so it's no surprise that he has sensitivity to actors. So what, the way we're going to start the evening is uh, we have one of the best actresses... Um, working today, I was going to say best in the world. I didn't know whether to say best in the world or best in New York. I was trying to figure out which one is better. Um, but she um, was seen most recently in The Born Ultimatum. You can applaud for that amazing performance. <laughs> and um, and the, you have her filmography in the program, but she had, of course, the two Academy Award-nominated performances in uh, The Contender and Nixon. And... Um, in this movie, The Ice Storm, that was made 10 years ago, uh, directed by Ang Lee, there are so many great performances in that film. It's some of the best work that we've seen from Joan Allen, also from Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver, and some young actors, including, uh, of course, Tobey Maguire and a very young Katie Holmes, um, who's better known as a marathon runner, but she, she gives a great performance <laughs> in that film. Um, but Joan Allen is here. I'm sure one day we'll be doing a tribute to her, hopefully, at this, in this venue. Uh, but tonight she's here to talk about the collaboration with, um, with Ang Lee. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joan Allen. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's it's um, a privilege for me to be here tonight to have worked on this incredible film um, with Ang 10 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and it was, um, I remember when I first saw the film, I was in Los Angeles and I went to the 20th Century Fox screening room and I was all by myself watching it uh, for the first time. And um, I remember when the film started, um, and the, the sequence on the train and the way that the opening credits happened and the sound of the train and the sound of the music. And I knew within, uh, I was pretty convinced that I, uh, if it wasn't a perfect film within, you know, I, I think I knew that within the first 30 seconds that I, I started watching the film. And of all the films that um, I have worked on, which I'm very proud of and have um, and, and feel that many of them are, are very good films in and of themselves. This is, to me, the most perfect film I've ever worked on in terms of the entire concept from the, the, the way it was filmed to the set decoration to the music to the performances. And um, that's a tribute to Aang because um, making all those elements come together uh, is is not easy, and it's kind of a uh, if, if filmmakers could calibrate it and 
make a, a little solution that they could mix, every film would turn out um, like this. Um, for the kind of story that was being told, uh, I, I, I think it was just perfection. Um, we had a traditional uh, rehearsal process really well. Actually, often you don't get rehearsal on films, so we were lucky we had about two weeks of rehearsal uh, where we all spent time together. And I remember the first day of rehearsal getting um, to rehearsal with a binder about this thick of research material from the 1970s, including what furniture was, you know, furniture ads, what cigarettes were being smoked, <clears throat> what music was being listened to, um, and, and that was given to each actor, and uh, was kind of our, our Bible, and Aang was very encouraging that it was, it was based on um, a book originally, which we all read, but Aang was also very encouraging that we would, each actor would um, think about the history, the family history of their characters, um, what their, you know, for instance, you know, what the grandparents are like, what my parents would have really been like, um, and, and really encouraged all the actors to think um, about their character history and where they came from and what they were like as children before they got to this place, um, which is, is a specificity that many directors don't um, really ask of actors and is, is, is really an incredible tool. Um, I remember doing exercises with uh, Kevin Klein and Christina Ricci and Toby McGuire and myself when we would walk. Ang would have us walk across the room back and forth so that we could walk like a family. Because if uh, you ever notice on the street, if you're walking behind somebody, sometimes you can tell a mother and daughter, you know, or a father and son because their gait, the way they walk, is, is the same. And those kinds of details were, uh, were very, very important to Ang. Um, so we, we really benefited from the rehearsal process. Um, and, and I just had the confidence, having seen Ang's earlier work, which was always so extraordinary and, and so truthful, that I, I was just sure there wouldn't be a false moment that he would allow on the screen. And uh, I think that the performances and the, the, the performances of the young people in the, in the movie, I think, um, are just the best that they have ever ever achieved, and I think that that is that is Ang's eye for what's human, what's real, what's believable, and um, I'm just I'm I'm deeply grateful to have been part of the Eye Storm. It's still my favorite film that I've been in, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the evening actually talking more with Ang and and. Uh, He'll be able to tell you a lot more about himself than I can, so enjoy. Thank you. Okay. Um, before I bring up Ang and James, what I want to say is in looking at what's often said about Ang Lee's films is that he keeps going from one type of film to a very different type of film. It was often remarked he, you know, he would make a movie like The Wedding Banquet, which is sort of a screwball comedy with a, a gay couple at the center, and this seemed to be a change of pace from his first film, Pushing Hands, which was a very personal film, uh, which seemed to be drawn from his own life. Um, he made Sense and Sensibility, and people said um, that's a big shift in direction. Um, he went from... Um, the 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, to the Hulk. And he, his career seems to be jumping around in different directions, but there's an amazing consistency to the work, um, which really becomes clear when you look at the films together. And um, it's a consistency that carries through from the early films right to the current movie, Lust Caution. Um, I, th I think at the heart of this work is an interest in contradictions, and a contradiction between personal desire and social conventions between modernity and tradition, between Eastern and Western traditions. Um, and this idea of contradiction, I think, is embodied in, in, if you just look at the titles of his movies, Lust, Caution, which is just the latest example. Um, Sense and Sensibility is another. Um, the, the titles often have oppositions built into them. Each rink, man, woman gives you a pair of them. Oppositions. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I don't know if that's exactly a contradiction, but it sounds like one. Um, <laughs> um, and I think Ice, Ice Storm also evokes this idea of, of um, a sort of raging storm of emotion underneath a surface of ice, and, and Ang is always cracking through that surface. Um, Hulk doesn't really work with this, so I'll, tr I'll, I'll just leave it, <laughs> leave it at that. It's a great collaboration between uh, Jane Seamus and Ang Lee. And um, I'm, it's now my pleasure to ask them to come up and join us. So please welcome Ang Lee and Jane Seamus. Thank you for being with us. I know last time we saw you at the museum, you had just finished um, Hulk, which was, an, I know, an incredibly draining experience. And I guess Lust Caution was also a draining experience to make. So uh, thanks for... Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I just recovered, barely, from last, last week yeah. after the Shanghai premiere. <laughs> Which was incredible, I guess, as, as James was, was saying before, the response to the film, I don't think we quite get it here um, in this country, what the response has been, but it's an enormous event in Asia, almost unparalleled, I think, in, in the history of, of Chinese film. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? Oh, I can <laughs> tell you there's a tremendous fear I had with making Lost Caution. Uh, I hesitated for three years. About the same time, I hesitate to portray gay cowboys for Americans. <laughs> so putting female sexuality and, uh, you know, you say I like to weigh, female sexuality and patriotism, that's very scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what would people think? Right. Uh, what, you know, they think of me as a pretty decent, nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to the academy, what are you going to think? So uh, it's very, very emotional draining in the making of it. I pushed the actors to the limit. I was just telling Joan, I'm so glad to, to see her. Just watch this new movie, my new level of torturing actors. <laughs> <laughs> but and anyway, I've been carrying that way for over two years. Wow. It drives me insane. <laughs> and the day before I show the movie to the Taiwanese audience, that's like a month and a half ago, mm -hmm. I was so nerve-wracking. I, I couldn't sleep. And hmm. during the, in the morning, I just started to break down. I just couldn't. I was shaking. Wow. <laughs> And to just witness what happened. And last week, I witnessed how people in Shanghai respond to the movie. And the next morning, uh, Tang Wei here, my actors, had the same feeling with like myself. It's like the weight in my system for over two years sort of left, just left. So I'm recovering now. <laughs> <laughs> and could you talk more about the, the res what the response has been in, in Asia to the film? Well, it's so funny because uh, Aang really was, I mean, he was absolutely convinced that the film would be completely despised um, over there and, and really written off. I mean, it's so transgressive and, and so radical a statement about the culture. And 
um, goes to places that literally have never been filmed or even discussed uh, in polite company um, there in some ways for so long. And, and it was a complete write-off. And so uh, even at Venice with the Asian press, and there were hundreds of, of um, Asian reporters there. And it's, the, the feedback was so strong and so positive, but you didn't really believe it. You didn't think it would translate. Even then, there was a kind of strange uh, step back. And, and, um, and uh, it's been quite the opposite. You know, here in the States, there's been a little bit of a headwind on the rating and the length, and it's very Chinese, and there's a certain reporter for the New York Times who didn't like it, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, those kinds of things happen, and you know, it's just culture. And, and so you kind of go with the flow, and after winning at Venice, it was like, oh, wow, we won it, which no one thought we would ever be able to pull off. Yeah, best picture. And, um, but it really was five weeks ago, I think, in Taiwan, but even that wasn't good enough for Aang to open in Taiwan and Hong Kong. It opens number one. It's doing blockbuster. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean is a footnote to the box office. This picture, I'm not kidding. It's just crazy. Um, But that wasn't good enough. And then you have these reports of literal lust caution tours from the mainland to Hong Kong. They fly you. They put you at a hotel. You go see the movie. What you do after that, I don't know. (laughs) They fly you back. You know, you have to be insured, I assume. And... um, uh, a, a gigantic cultural that wasn't good enough it's number one at the box office the first week the second week the third week the fourth week I mean it's crazy that still he's not sleeping he's fetching he's miserable <laughs> and finally last week he went to China uh, the mainland where we shot part of the film in Shanghai and uh, there was a there was a, a great premiere I guess 1200 people showed up and um, it turns out the film is a gigantic not just a blockbuster because that's something that I think Aang could do, and then he wouldn't be having tributes. He'd just be rich. But, you know, I mean, he could just do that. Um, but it's more than that. I, th- I think it's... I, I think, like, what, what are they? Something his, yeah. his home. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. And I, I couldn't name what exactly it is. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty nasty movie. Um, <laughs> like, Politically. Pretty t- political. A- a- on every front. Yeah. And uh, in respect of my effort, starting from Taiwan, they didn't cut it. It was rated about the same rating here. But it was showing everywhere. Um, everybody above 18 would go see it. And there's the cultural phenomenon. I try to figure out what's different from there and here between Chinese and Americans. Uh, I, I'm kind of one of becoming one of expert in that in cross yeah. culture, and I, I couldn't quite figure out. There's something something in the social uh, consciousness, in, in the collective consciousness, uh, we call the common aura. Like it's accumulation of many lives, uh, hundreds of years being occupied, or something in Chinese history in the way we we're, we're growing up, something hits home. I, I didn't know exactly. The same reason I think I fear of it, somehow it resolved something for the audience. Uh, it's beyond, I, I don't care so much about how the box office do. They may go there because they think it's a sexy movie. Yeah. I, I don't know, but um, just the way they talk about it, enthusiasm. I'm not saying everybody loved the movie, but just the way they involve and talk about the movie. Uh, I just read uh, two days ago in the most popular internet blog, there are over 1.5 million articles about the movie. And it's in millions of people go up and talk about it. Just that social phenomenon, something I was afraid of and that hits home. That was overwhelming. But, and, and similar in a way to what you tapped into with Brokeback Mountain, which... Um, Something his home here. It did. I saw... I saw <laughs> of course they're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Something needs a woman writer, like any pro and a foreign filmmaker like myself, just to tip over. Right. <laughs> I think the material is so ripe. Again, James showed that to me 
versus this time I, I show story. this short story to Jen. Yeah. What do you think I, I make that as my next movie? Would you invest in it? What do you, th what do you say? <laughs> and the other one, James pitched to me. We've got something interesting you might want to take a look at. Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> that looks scary to me. <laughs> um, we're going to, since there was life before James Seamus for you, I want to go, go back in time. Uh, to your training as an actor, if you could just talk about that a little bit, um, because I think it, it, you see this and feel this in your films, the, the sensitivity you have towards actors. So just um, talk about what your training was, because I think that's what brought you to this country. Well, I, I grew up uh, very artistically repressed uh, in, in my culture, uh, doing plays and being entertainment business is a disgrace. So I would never <laughs> get to uh, touch art at all. So it's all academic, behave well, and I was pretty docile child. So all that is pretty much repressed, and I became a daydreamer. And I flunked the college examination, and I got to go to the school of uh, drama school. Just, uh, <laughs> it's a hideout place for next year's e exam. Uh, and then the first night I stood on stage, I pretty much shot the way how I remembered it in this new movie, Last Caution, as a stage play. And I just feel that I'm, I'm out there. I'm not belonging here. So I, I wanted to be an actor. I want to find other characters and, and simulating situations. And that seems to be more truthful to me than the, the life I'm living. And then after military service, I came to the States. I became director because I couldn't speak English. I couldn't get into the actor's program. <laughs> <laughs> and after two years, I got so pissed. <laughs> so I thought, best people, uh, stage belong to actors. Who wants to see stage director? I hope there's no stage directors down there. <laughs> That's how the young minds work. Right. And I thought, if I want to become director, I want to direct movies. And I applied to NYU Guardian. And once I got into NYU film school, I know I, I got to the right place because things are really simple. It's sight and sound. And uh, that's f I got further proof that when I direct Sense and Sensibility, I speak pitching English. He could tell you tons of jokes <laughs> about how I direct that movie. If that could happen, anything could happen on film for me. It's, uh, it's sight and sound, something right. quite universal, uh, something across language barrier. And you made, I guess, a student film helped bring you to um, James. So is that true? I mean, how did you? Well, that's a strange story, actually. How we met. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I had formed a company called Good Machine um, back in the day with my, my partner Ted Hope at the time, and um, and Ted had shown me uh, Ang's NYU thesis film, which was called Fine Line. It was Chaz Palminteri's first movie, um, I believe. Right? Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, and um, and uh, and then uh, that film had been made six years prior to us forming Good Machine. And, we kind of wondered what happened to Ang Lee for six years. It turned out he was up in White Plains in an 800-square-foot condo uh, in his underwear cooking dinner for his kids. I didn't know that. Um, and uh, we contacted his then-agents, who were wonderful people, but they, uh, uh, at the time they said, well, you guys are these schmo independent producers and blah, blah, and Ang has a development deal at Universal, and he's going to make a movie with uh, Julia Roberts or something. And uh, so they said, no, you can't meet him. And literally two weeks later, he came to our office. He called up Ted and said, I hear you guys have this little company, and I, I just won a screenplay prize in Taiwan. And they gave me $300,000, and somebody said, you guys make movies for $300,000, although somebody else told me, you'll probably steal the money. <laughs> um, he literally said this. But I'm not... <laughs> 
and he came in and um, he, pitched, uh, he pitched his first film. I mean, pitch is really a pretty generous term. It, it was 45 minutes, the most boring story meeting I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm really not making this up. He just, it was just, and then in scene 37, <laughs> will, and then he'll, you know, and um, he left, and I thought, well, he's got the money, so why not? But, uh, <laughs> but we, all, we also thought, I said this, I turned his head on every guy. I said, well, that was really so boring, but he actually, <laughs> unlike most of the other interesting pitch meetings, and, you know, pitch, I'm sure there are people here in the film business who are trying to get into it, and there's, there's one kind of pitch meeting which is boring, which turns out to be the interesting ones in, in, eventually. And then there's the pitch meeting where the writer actually stands up in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> Have you ever been in one of those where they go, and then? And, you, and I'm just like, I'm so scared of these people. Uh, you know, there's, it's so horrifying. And, you know, he's just not a salesman. But I said to Ted, he described, you know, the great thing about him was he walked in and he literally talked like a director. He described a movie that he had already made in his mind. It was already done. We just had to help him get there, and that was so compelling to us, actually. And that was the way we made Pushing okay, Hands. Okay, and Pushing Hands was the first film, which was a sort of more straightforwardly autobiographical film, I guess. No, it's a story about an old man, uh, but I yeah. sort of split my personality into two. I mm-hmm. spent six years like that Tai Chi master, mm-hmm. meditating, doing nothing, <laughs> uh, get lost in the culture differences, uh, life goes nowhere. And then the American wife, who's a writer, who had no good idea, so they get stuck together. That's where the idea came from. I, I didn't write a script to, to, make them into mo- to make it into a movie. Uh, I mm. just wrote it to enter Taiwanese film competition, uh, mm. the script competition held by the, the, the government, because uh, it's good money to win. Uh, so mm. when I win the first prize, I didn't know what to do with that money. They actually gave me money to make the movie. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what to do with the money, and I didn't know if I will make that movie because that it's not artistic enough, it's not commercial enough. I, I don't know what what to make of hmm. the the script. Hmm. And I took the money and through a neutral friend of ours, he said his partner Ted Hope uh, used to be a key PA in his group when he was PA. Hmm. He heard that he wants to produce, so he has his number. I called him up. And I walk into their office, which is two table, in the back of somebody's office. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to hear hey. my side of the story. Right. <laughs> Ted, like a big boy, he does look like a key PA, 28 years right. old. Uh, and James, uh, who's, who's half of this size, um, he looked like a, a professor and a used car salesman. <laughs> so I did my pitch, and they did their pitch. Uh, their, their pitch is really great to me, unlike my pitch. Uh, that's what a good salesman is. They, he's, they say we're director-focused uh, 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 producers. We're the king of no-budget filmmaking in New York. He said, listen, not n- low-budget, no-budget. <laughs> Uh, your money is luxurious for us. Right. Uh, can you make a movie in three month, uh, three weeks? I said, no, I can't. I say can't. Then four weeks, no more than four weeks. I say fine. Um, <laughs> they say we coach directors like yourself uh, to make movies they can afford to make hmm. instead of waste time in development hill. That that hit me. That hits home <laughs> for me. I was in development hill for six six months, so I give them the money. I'm just glad over the years they kept their promises, hmm. their gems, all the way to my 10th movie. Big budget movie like Hulk. Yeah. He still coached me how to do the movie I can afford. 
from the smallest to the biggest. Um, I'm just glad he's not a crook, turned out. <laughs> <laughs> I was very afraid. That's government money. If, I, if right. they run, <laughs> if they messed up or somehow messed up, what, what am I going to do? Uh, I, I really didn't know. I just pray that they're... Well, the wedding banquet, uh, could you talk a bit about how that came about? And that was, as I said before, an incredible success as an independent film. It kind of tapped into some things that were going on at the time, um, including an opening up of Taiwanese cinema, um, the new queer cinema, or it was, it was what it was called at the time, which you were involved with in, in working with Todd Haynes and Christine Bashan. And it's a very interesting sort of blend of different elements. So if we could talk about how that came about. Well, I wrote Wedding Banquet, a script on my own six years prior to uh, pushing ahead. It's just back then, it's mm. too Chinese to raise money here, too gay to raise money in Taiwan. So it didn't <laughs> go anywhere. Mm. And I sent both of the script in. That won the second prize. Pushing Hand won the first prize. Mm. And mm. Pushing Hands, James came in to touch up the script. I didn't listen to him other than the English. <laughs> he improved. I didn't really listen to him. And that turns out <laughs> to be a, a big hit in Taiwan and didn't mm. go anywhere else in the world. Mm. So there comes the money, uh, this time a little more handsome, like three quarter of a million mm. to make wedding banquet. So I pitched to James. James think I will do a good job here. He likes the idea. Um, but then he read the uh, translated script, uh, the way I wrote about gay lifestyles about 15 years, uh, like out of date. Hmm. He said, we'll make one more Chinese movie. We're going to close down Good Machine if this one doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, he really started to work on my script hmm. till these days. Hmm. And that's proven to be uh, pretty trustworthy and very fruitful uh, hmm. for us. Yeah. It was fun with Wedding Banquet because the original script was actually a drama. It was a kind of a tragedy. And they find out their son's gay, and it's really depressing, and they everybody yells at each other, and then they go home. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was better than that. But um, <laughs> and um, the, uh, what we did was I pitched him. The, my big pitch back was uh, the, uh, I was teaching a, a great book by the Harvard philosopher Stanley Cavell on um, uh, screwball comedy. Uh, mm. And it's about what he calls the comedy of remarriage. And you have great screwball comedies from Hawks and Cougarongs. They're always about couples who have divorced or split up, and then they come back together. And I looked at the structure of each drink, oh, not each drink, of, of wedding banquet, and, and we realized that this was a comedy of remarriage. These guys, in order to stay together, they have to get one of them has to get married. That forces them to break up, and then they should get back together again. So it was yeah. a classic screwball comedy. It was just having to be gay and Chinese. But aside from that, <laughs> it, it was so rigorous all the way to the end that we re envisioned, and we just. It took us about a month to flip what had been a, a, a wonderful drama, but and just turn it into something generically that was always sitting there waiting for it to happen. That was a good pitch to me because uh, hmm. I learned from the first shooting but to make such rigorous shooting, low so shoestring budget, uh, you have to shoot very efficiently. And I like the, the way uh, uh, screwball comedy goes. Uh, just, they come into the one frame, blah, yeah, yeah, and they go, the next shot. So it's very efficient and I can really control the, the, the quality of, hmm. of shooting. So that, that, that hit right away. The, it, the idea of the father who is in on the secret and knows more than, than he lets on is such a great twist. That, that was his idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, 
But it's complete fantasy, um, <laughs> as we saw from Ice Storm. We don't like a resolution, the Chinese, like mm-hmm. something bigger than life. That's, yeah. that's how, like last caution. Right. Um, and then he offers a solution that's the twist at the end yeah. that really fits the genre and yeah. make it function so well. And somehow, sometimes when James write to me, I feel it's not quite Chinese. And, and then I'll do it anyway because it works so well with the movie. Mm-hmm. And it will turn out that the Chinese really like those scenes. They like mm-hmm. the breakthroughs. <laughs> and the scene you saw between the father and, yeah. uh, and the son-in-law is, uh, is a typical example. So many people tell me how much they appreciate uh, that twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie after the success of The Wedding Bank with the next movie, didn't you go to Taiwan and make a film, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman? Very much in the film is this um, idea of the difference between Eastern and Western cultures. There's a character in the film, uh, a man who has a wife who's living in America, and uh, he's kind of falling for uh, somebody he works with. You've been worked on screenplays that are both in English and, and Chinese. Chinese. Um, could you talk about your work on this film? And how- it's just something painful as a Chinese filmmaker, unless you make like our house, strictly our house film. Mm-hmm. Our, our film history is, is a subculture to the Hollywood. Uh, when you want to bring out to the world stage to something James will be interested in, you have to upgrade it. Uh, I, I seldom talk about that in, with, within the Chinese community because we want to be part of our history. But in making a better Chinese film, even the Chinese audience will watch these days, you have to upgrade it. But when you upgrade it, where, where the source come from? It has to come from English, from classical music good film example from, from, from everywhere around the world. And our film language and our cultural language is not up to date with that. So a lot of the times when I write script or work with extremely good writers such as Huiding Huang, we're not good enough. Sometimes it takes a foreigner to us to write. He'll tell you a story about, at first he tried to write like Chinese, and to me that's rubbish, that don't sound like Chinese. Then someday, one day he just gave up. Uh, and he write like Jewish, <laughs> and I said it's very <laughs> Chinese. Uh, to me. It's actually not BS. I literally did that uh, change all for all that from Jiaqin, Jianning, Jiaqin. I changed them all to Sarah and you know Rachel and and um, some minor characters. And um, because I, I I was doing so much research, especially for this, I was you know there's books from the Yale University Press on food and Chinese culture and contemporary family life and, type. and I was doing and, and every time I tried to make it more Chinese it would just be so fake and stupid and he was really getting very nervous and I did I changed it globally and made everybody Jewish and then um, <laughs> and he literally did I, I, I kid you not I gave him the script and he sat there in my uh, in the kitchen and read it and he goes wow this is so Chinese <laughs> I, was, I was like what and then I went over to Taipei because there's a little bit uh, right when you started shooting I'll never forget and uh, the first day of shooting I was, uh, the, maybe the second, was in the um, chicken, the fast food chicken place. Uh, and uh, one of the daughters turns to her friends and turns to her and speaks in Mandarin to tell her, can she do my shift so I can see my boyfriend? And, and as she's speaking Mandarin, which I'm tone deaf, so it's all noise to me. Uh, it's very difficult for me to, you know, get. But I, I kept hearing this, da 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 Rachel, da 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 I was like, <laughs> did she just say Rachel? And I go, that's her name. And I, because I'd forgotten to change back <laughs> one of the minor characters' names, and of course, at that time in Taipei, in particular, it was kind of in for the kids to take on Americanized name. names. 
And it was just this weird artifact from the, the kind of struggling with the script. At that time, I, I thought uh, the Jewish must be very good uh, verbalize what Chinese in mind. So we don't say it, but they, they can okay. verbalize it. So it's, it's yeah, so good film language. That No, it's not in history, but it's... It, it's, it's, a, it's because at Christmas we go to the movies human. and eat Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> something universal, something sound right. Uh, of course, what James write, I have to turn into Chinese. This is the beginning of how I make that work. In the previous film, in our collaborations, that wasn't such a, uh, a problem because you have a central character that's American. Everybody talk, and it's in New York. It's contemporary, and everybody's trying to talk to him. Whenever English involved, uh, they're, they're, they talk like me because they, they have Simon around. Mm -hmm. And I run into a bigger problem here back in Taiwan. This film works so much better outside of Taiwan. Because I was still in the struggle to, to change that, to be mm. authentic. Mm. When I make that movie, I was a little detached from Taiwan. It's my old uh, memory of how I grew up there and updated with the crew, with what I see. There's an attachment and a detachment. I was making a crafty art piece of work. It's a, for the first time I can work like art, a piece of artwork, which the first two movies, I just, it's, it's, it's about survival. To finish the day, I'd be thankful. <laughs> and there's no time to, to make craft art out of it. So I was starting to experiment, uh, expand my film, filmic language in Adrian Man Woman. Uh, so that is a little detached from the Taiwanese experience. Sometimes I feel people outside of where it is is more eligible for art house films. Because mm -hmm. uh, like Japanese probably don't care about Kurosawa and yeah. Taiwanese, the real cold, cold Shaoxian maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, so is the French with Gadar. Uh, I think it takes certain distance. I think that's an improvement, that yeah. movie. main improvement in me making a movie. But it was somewhat detached from the reality of Taiwan, just the way the word they use. Yeah. So that's the beginning of struggling. Um, and that becomes loom up. That, Problem in Eating Man, I mean, uh, in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a lot more loomed up. And I think I did much better uh, with Last Caution. I think finally I sort of have a grist about taking from him and make it more right. Uh, it's a learning process. In terms of the idea of distance, one thing I think that you've said is that you, you have been able to take this idea of a repressive culture, very regimented, and that you grew up with in Taiwan and then apply it to other cultures. So, so Sense and Sensibility was the next film after this, and, it's, um, and you were very at home in, in depicting this culture. What drew you to this material? You know, this is one of the first times that we heard, oh, what is Ang Lee doing doing this? What is he doing adapting a comic book, adapting Jane Austen? You know, so what? That, that's the beginning of the adventure. <laughs> well, your first sort of Hollywood studio finance film. Oh, by the way, ah, the young Kate Winslet. She was 19 years old. <laughs> well, it was Emma Thompson that I couldn't resist it. Um, actually, at that time, we were thinking about doing The Ice Storm. Hmm. So three Chinese language film. Maybe it's time we try out, I, I'll try it out, American film. Uh, so I was thinking something in the low budget range of like four million or so, that James agree. Uh, I fall in love with a, a book he, he showed, recommended to me for read, just for pleasure, Rick Moody's books. Mm. And on two page 200, 
I remember exactly when the kid slide down the hill and being electrocuted. Mm. It just it, it becomes a movie to me. So I, I told James, let's do this movie. So we were planning to do that. And this script come along by Lindsay Duran, the producer. It's been her baby for a long time, for 15 years. She tried to make, raise money. And Emma's been on writing for four years mm. already. It's, it's a done, pretty good script. Then they sent it to me because they saw Wedding Banquet, thought I'm, mm. I'm perfect for Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the double-edged, uh, <laughs> melodrama, woman, whatever, and, and humor. They just saw how much money it made. Um, I, I don't know. They they uh, they yeah. feel the sensibility. Yeah, uh, and, and then I, mean, the I, I, I read the, yeah. the script. Uh, it was odd to me. Why did they look for me? Are they crazy? For the first half, it's yeah. all attic bowing, shaking hand introduction. <laughs> for the second half, I, I, I got it. Mm. No, I, I felt I know everything about it except I did it in Chinese before. Mm. Uh, I just have to do it in major league. I have to do it in English, which is scary. And I, I was very uh, scared. Yeah. And I, it's, it's a habit. It's, I already had a habit. If I scared, I turned to James. What do you think? <laughs> um, I was scared. I just wasn't letting on. But he, um, <laughs> it was so funny. I'll never forget because they hadn't seen it. This is the kind of Emma's uh, and Lizzie's genius. They had seen Wedding Banquet. They hadn't seen Eat, Drink, Man, Woman yet. With us, Eat, Drink, Man. And mm-hmm. we had just finished Eat, Drink. And Aang was in Europe mm. on a publicity tour for Eat, Drink. And they had sent the script through me, and, and I had just gotten very excited, of course, because it was Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. <laughs> and here's my meal ticket. My kids can go to college now. Um, <laughs> so, like, let's do it, you know. Um, and, uh, and the budget was too big to run into us. It's, uh, what, 15. Six, 15, 16. 15. We're thinking four million, so we're kind of. Mm. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget, he was on the publicity tour, and he would read a few pages, and then I would call him in Paris, and. I said, no, keep reading. And then he read some more. And then finally, it was, I'll never forget, you were in Hamburg. And I said, you've got to get to page 84 of the script, because on page 84 was a scene between what became Emma and, and Kate, uh, where one sister turns to another and says, what do you know of my heart? Mm-hmm. And that was a line that, that I had written for Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, between two sisters. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's, it's very similar, but it's not a remake. It's very different. But I said, You'll, when you get to that scene you will understand why they thought of you, even though they, didn't had, they had never seen Eat, Drink, Man, Woman yet. It was yeah. so uncanny. And I think yeah, that's... And I remember you got to that page yeah. in Hamburg. You said, oh, I'll get it. Okay, I'll take um, that in. Well, it just looked familiar to me, the, the vibe, the, the sensibility, the, the feeling, the emotion, the way in the social satire, the double-edged sword yeah. of uh, you know, the humor and, and, and cut and dry sense of humor. I think I'm, I'm the man, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I, they think. Yeah. And then when I met Lindsay, I, I guess I, I talked about the right thing, I talked about the humor. And she said she met the German woman director talk about the humor, and she said, what humor in general, Austin? <laughs> uh, so she really liked my pitch. Um, I think, to this day, I, I think they have problem finding English director for that movie. They're so jaded about mm. Jane Austen, BBC type of things. So they had to look for a foreign director. That's my suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I met Emma. It was, went well with my broken English. Somehow, I have to give them credit mm. to invest in me. I think they're very scared, too. Mm. Uh, and then I, I found out there's no, other than the Lindsay, there's no American around me. All top the 
top of the line English mm. cast and crew. It was very, very frightening to me. So I brought James uh, as my entourage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't associate with it. I couldn't talk right. to him. I was so shy. And James would go around and tell them, Aang's like a Zen master. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say a word, but he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. <laughs> then he's the only person I know who can talk down Emma Thompson. He's, he, can, he can really talk. Uh, he's just a man what I'm short of. I think that makes a perfect match. And anyway, I, I, I slogged through the... Once the daily turns out, and the studio loved it, and gradually I earned my right to direct English piece, and gradually it sort of gets on the track. And, uh, and somehow nobody was terribly experienced in producing that movie. So James came here as the big American producer. He blocked his way into producing the movie, <laughs> I think. And at the end, I think he really becomes a pretty good, uh, he trained to be a good producer. And we delivered it under budget. It was for Columbia Pictures. I think that was the first one in about ever, I think. <laughs> but it was amazing. The first, the bracketing that show was just some amazing moments. I mean, we come off of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And, you know, in, in Taiwan, the director is, is um, addressed as Mr. Director. That's how you talk to Ang. You don't say, hey, Ang. You say, Mr. Director, may I? And I'll never forget the, the first day visiting Ang on, uh, sorry, Mr. Director, on set there. And um, I'll never forget, we were eating the lunch, and it was at this long picnic table out in front of one of the sets, and everyone else was sitting around on the ground. And we were chatting, blah, 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 blah. And I looked, and I said, Aang, what's the problem? Does anybody hate your guts? What's going on? And nobody's like here. And he, uh, I'll never forget, because you, you hadn't been in Taiwan for a while. You'd been living in New York, and you'd been making movies there. And he literally went, oh, I forgot to invite people up to eat at the table. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that kind of scene. It was just hard for you to you know, get integrated in that. And then, of course, the first day of shooting on Sense and Sensibility, and, you know, there's a lot of that. You're working with the, some of the greatest actors out of the British tradition. So there's a lot of this, you know, aren't, are you sure, Aang, you don't prefer my left profile? Hint, hint. I'm getting a million dollars. Please, left. You get it, right? Or, or, you know, what's my motivation for, you know, picking the cherry off the mantle? Whatever it is, it's a, a lot of discussion. And um, it got a little mm, tense. And Aang turned to me. He said, he, said, he, said, he said, James, I used to be the emperor. Now I'm just the president. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie is a great training for me. Yeah. It's, to me, it's the best film school to me. Mm. Uh, to slog through the, uh, the actors, they bounce around, uh, they, you know, they all talk at the same time, seven or eight, I, I, I cannot win an argument, because uh, the way I was brought up is we take orders until one day you're old enough to give orders. Everything is in an implicit understanding. We never train to verbalize them, uh, let alone to win a debate, or communication. Uh, so you find a lot of aspect in my movies about repression, about not communicating. That, that's the way I brought up. So that, that for, really forced me to explain. First to Lindsay, my first producer, thank God James is not like that. Why are you doing where? I have to explain to her. I have to explain the, to the actors why I'm doing certain things, which I'm totally not used to. I think most of the Chinese directors are not used to that. You know, you're brewing your head. People have to guess. You're so authoritative, and you just look thinking, and everything would be fine. Um, I remember when I was doing PA, the first lesson people, tip, people gave me just look busy. <laughs> I'm sure some of you might know that. And when I do directing, I, I, I also took the hint. I just look thinking. When you look thinking, <laughs> things were... <laughs> 
It was also true that uh, and Aang was able to use. But I, I wasn't really able to do that there. I have to like really slog my way through and yeah, make the, the movie. You were. I mean, the the uh, Aang doesn't. Aang speak no English. Kind of you know, Aang so horny. Kind of it does not. I mean, you got away with it on this one and a little bit on. On uh, on uh, Ice Storm, Ice Storm or the last that. two, but I mean he would do things. I mean, you could, I mean, come on, it, <coughs> Emma is. You know, there's some discussion going on, and we'll literally go, okay, can you do the next one? Just don't look so old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I said that, Emma Thompson would literally pick that thing and just like it would be four blows to the head, I'd be dead. She's like, oh, Ang, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and she would go, she goes, what does it mean? Did it? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Or Hugh Grant, my other one, my favorite Hugh Grant direction was like, could you do it this time like a bad actor? <laughs> she was like, okay, I guess, yeah. Coming into that, you know? I used to be able to get away with that. <laughs> I can't do it anymore, I can tell you that. In the, the Iceland, I still can pull that off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you, I, the sense and sensibility must have given you confidence in looking at, at these yeah, worlds that were, were different. I'm Nine, so proud of this scene. Yeah, I'm yeah. so proud of this. Uh, of that scene? Of that scene, you know, uh, 1,800, uh, no, 200 people, uh, yeah. you know, two camera, the ballroom dancing scene. I think that's pretty good <laughs> choreographing <Yeah>. and shouting. <laughs> <laughs> and for four days, I actually made that work. I was very proud of it. I was teaching the ladies how to hold themselves, and I was yeah. from Taiwan, and we shot that, that, that place was uh, where Barry Lyndon was shot. Wow. And at, at night, I was just by that bridge by the Grecian temple. I said, what am I doing? It's like a dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was there directing uh, English drama, telling those society ladies how to hold themselves, how to dance. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like a childhood dream come true. And then after that, you do... And it, it's, it could happen. I don't know. That's mm. the movie magic. Mm. If you believe in it, you just... You know, Looking back, hey, I've done that. But before I've done it, it seems to be impossible. Uh, it's very encouraging that making a movie can make anything happen. Well, you go you know, then to 1970s suburban America, which you capture perfectly. That's scarier than this, yeah. <laughs> I know I lived through it, so I know what you mean. <laughs> but you do that and capture that perfectly, and, and then the Civil War period um, with Ride with the Devil. So... I talk about those. I guess let's the ice storm first because that is such a perfect film in so many ways. Well, I guess after five generations, with sense sensibility, five generation, my guess is as good as anybody's. And I realized that once I did the research, I did a half a year of learning, turned into the material. Uh, I mean, no less knowledgeable than you know, people around me, uh, except that I'm not as familiar with the theatrical uh, reality as much as people, uh, and let alone audience and critics alike. So that was my real struggle. You give me like three months I can get into, I feel like get into anything. Um, so once I spent half a year in pre-production with that movie, I feel more and more confident, but the ice storm is really scary. Because um, people, to me that was the nearest, uh, that was the near, at that time, the nearest uh, period drama People still remember that year, and I was in Taiwan. So that was scary. Um, the, the first research I did when I interviewed people about the ice storm that year, mm-hmm. I, I got so scared because everybody gave me a signal, like they don't remember 1973. Mm. That's really scary. 
They remember what happened 72, 74. But I think 73 is the year they intend they to forget. Out, yeah. They blocked out. I, I realized I walked in the, uh, the minefield or something. I was very scared, more scared than uh, uh, sense sensibility. Well, James is uh, very helpful, and I think the crew was very helpful. Not so much with actors. I think the parents' level, they're already uh, out of co college, so, so they're not really associated with the kid, and the kid had no idea. I'm talking about actors, but the crew is almost my age, like, like James, uh, the editor, the, the researcher, uh, script, so, you know, just about everybody surround me. Uh, the problem is uh, who to listen to, because they can be very opinionated. Yeah. Starting from James Rewrite, which I, I think half of the movie is not in the, in the, in, in the novel, James created. And the tone is very different. Tone is very different. I don't hate her, his parents. That's the main difference. I'm not as pissed as the writer. Right. I didn't quite like the ending, sort of. I struggle with it. Yeah. So we 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 changed that. Told James. James, uh, this is the first time James entirely write uh, the screenplay. I think it's a brilliant work, uh, adaptation. It is. From, it is. Know, and, um, brilliant work. <laughs> When I received, uh, in Khan, I received best uh, screenplay for him. He was sick. He couldn't make it. I just realized I never treat him like a writer. I always treat him like a producer. Like, James, I need a few pages. Give me something. <laughs> I never respect him as a writer. But he did pull that off. I want to ask, what's great about the, the collaboration and the way that the screenplays work is you know how to underwrite in a way, or allow silence and allow a lot to be expressed with no dialogue. And of course, in this film, you have characters who keep everything under the surface. So could you talk a bit about how that works? I mean, I started with so funny as, a, as an experience, just being a producer on set. The longest argument probably ever occurred on an Ang Lee film was between 40 crew members discussing which of the art department's bongs should be in the basement set. <laughs> uh, so, no, 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 they wouldn't have had the brown. It was, it was, you know, <laughs> uh, and they were like, you guys were all so stoned anyhow. Like, you still are. Who remembers? You know, just shut up. We'll just do the... Um, so was, that, was a, that was a fun day. And then, you know, it was really so weird because we were shooting up in um, uh, New Canaan, Connecticut, where the novel took place. And, I mean, and Rick Moody came and visited. It was just an incredible experience with Rick, the, the novelist, to be part of that, too. And, um, and, uh, and it was so strange being up there uh, shooting it because they figured out what we were doing pretty quickly up there. And... Uh, <laughs> And suddenly they were revoking permits. I had to buy up. It was crazy. It was just so, and they were so mean. And I, I, anybody here is from New Canaan, we hate, <laughs> we hate you, actually. No. I love you. <laughs> At the bottom of my heart, you, know, you gave us this great kid. But I remember one day Ang was sitting on set. We were just, uh, some days shut down. They pulled up, and he was like, he was literally like, why do they hate me so much? They were so nice in England. They really were. They were shot at all these national trust houses where only the volunteers can move the chairs and stuff. The crew couldn't. We have these big, burly British crew. And, uh, and then they say, well, let's move the chair. And literally, uh, four 80-year-old women would show up. And the crew With a purse just, in their arm. Yeah. It was like, what? They're moving some priceless, you know, thing. We're like, we got the crew. They can do that. No, no, no. And, uh, but in, in New Canaan, they were also, everybody was so mean. And um, he goes, why are, they, why are they so mean? I said, Aang, the reason you live here is because you hate people like you. You know, this is the thing. But the, so the movie, writing it was this crazy thing, because I didn't grow up in that kind of environment either, so I had to pretend that I knew all this stuff. But uh, honestly, I grew up he in He said that because his dad is sitting right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dad. Yeah, his parties, I assume, were much more boring. Um, 
But it was this uh, kind of strange thing where you, were, you really were identifying. We, we were able to identify, I think, with both generations, being a kid at that time. But also, we were both parents. And I'll never forget the, one of the longest discussions we ever had about the script was on the potential line reading that Kevin Klein would give to one very, very small line, which was, uh, I mean it, young lady, which, of course, is the line that parents give when they are absolutely helpless and don't mean anything. Um, and it was a very funny discussion we had. It was like, and that was kind of the, the essence. After th- the first three movies, which were all about these patriarchs having to adapt to this new world and then flipping it into splitting so it between the kids. We ourselves are dads, and yeah. we're, we're clueless in America. So <laughs> yeah. that's how we're associated with That's a switch from the previous movies to this one. And, and really the scariest thing about working on that screenplay, which has now been fully realized, and I was talking to Joan Allen about this uh, as we were waiting before this evening, is... Now, 10 years later, we get to show that movie to our kids. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they've seen it all over. You know, they're on the Internet. What do we care? But it's, it is that kind of moment when you really you see the, all those cycles turning. And in terms of the amount that you, you write, because there is a, there's long sequences. Um, I mean, famously, the whole ending sequence of the film right. is no dialogue for eight minutes. He, he, he leaves a lot of room for, for the filmmakers. That's why I... I Sometimes I treat them like producer, not writers. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think that's a benefit of, for, for uh, uh, filmmakers. You know, most script I read from Hollywood, from wherever, uh, they build like battleships, unsinkable. If, if I drop that script, somebody from there pick it up, he or she can direct. Mm. That's the kind of script they want. <laughs> um, but James is blueprints, minimum. Yeah. But very suggest, very inspir- inspirational. Very stimulating for the for the thoughts, but he keep it to the minimum, and you feel like you want to make a movie about it. So that that's the best thing about his screenplay writing. Maybe he doesn't think himself as a script no, <laughs> screenwriter, but he's a filmmaker to me. He's a filmmaker. Uh, but, uh, no, but this is that don't thing, have to strike I, now. I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm picketing myself right now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but there is a thing, because I, I, I often, now that I have the studio job, it's a little busy, so I don't do as much. I, 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 in the past, I've often managed these, um, you know, doing these st- uh, studio film rewrites, which are hilariously fun, because they've just committed like $100 million, and they forgot there was no story, and then they call <laughs> you up, and it is like, combat pay, all right. And then you get to, but it's like engineering, because you have to take literally the sets that they built and the characters, and you have to write into their production and figure out a, a story for them. And uh, you don't get credited, but they pay you wonderfully, and it's just a, it's, it's great craft. I, I learn a lot. Um, but it is the exact opposite of what I do for Aang, which really, for Aang, well, a- any real original script is going to be um, uh, what I call 120 pages of begging for money and attention. Because uh, that's what they are when you're in that zone, not when you're on doing combat uh, work. Uh, but um, for him, it's really making him so scared that he'll be interested. Because he reads a lot. You can imagine, after almost 20 years, he gets like every screenplay from everybody, and they're wonderful scripts often, and he's bored silly, which is really too bad, because I think like if I could just tag along as a producer on some of those, it would be so much fun, and there'd be so much money, and we'd be so happy and successful, but <laughs> um, so stress-free. But, but he, he just gets bored, so I really do try to write stuff that will scare him enough, you know. <laughs> A lot of motivation and fear. I was so scared of this. Uh, I was so scared of this. This is a good lesson for me. Um, unlike a film school uh, experience with Sense Sensibility, which is really the movie that nailed my craft in filmmaking, I think that book is made like textbook stuff. 
but uh, I was getting away from that and because the material is so scary, I found it so scary and I actually had to detach from it. I, I, I'm not a person to say that I know what I'm talking about because they're all chatting like this. I try to decide who to listen to a lot of the times. But then I found myself easier than everybody, probably than James, to see the subtext, what it's about, what's behind it. Because the texture doesn't attach to me as much as some of the earlier films. So I, I realized to make art, to craft some artistic work, you need a distance. Because I was scared, there's a distance. First, uh, in Sense Sensibility, I, I learned to take step back from the actors because I'm so afraid of them. So actually, I put the camera, before my camera was like here, then there was, read way back, try to decide how to frame them. So sense and sensibly, uh, you know, the framing will speak for itself. Um, and then with the ice storm, I take one further step back. I think that's still up to this day the most artistic film I've tried. Uh, because of Seri Factor, I have to make crap as an art in, instead of imposing myself. So that's a good lesson. But there are these funny little, you know, just contingencies that, that uh, dictate, eventually dictate what you think of as Aang's craft. On Sense and Sensibility, he was absolutely certain he wanted to shoot it widescreen until we did some uh, hair and makeup and costume tests, and then you realize that Empire dresses don't have the shoulder, so they, they're here, and then they have the hat up here. Hat and, and so, cleavages. So if you wanted to see the hat, they'd look naked. It's like they were like they were just Kate was walking around naked wearing a hat. There's there nothing in the close-up, and we thought, oh, it's not. <laughs> so then we went back to the standard. Yeah. You famously said about crouching tiger, hidden dragon that sometimes, in, uh, when you would write a fight scene, you would just write they fight. They uh, fight. But let's. Um... <laughs> he did put a note in the front page that just trust and will create the most incredible fighting sequence. Yeah, yeah it's just incredible what a good screenplay can get you. <laughs> what was it? Were you afraid of taking on this genre? It's incredibly popular. Uh, no, I wasn't thinking, I guess. This is something I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I pitched him the story. I know there's a, there's, a, there's a saga and martial art or something, something. I remember we were, uh, we were in Toronto Film Festival and he took me to a video game shop so, to, to run away from a party. <laughs> and I remember in that video game, I said, I want to do a martial art film. And, about this young girl, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I think it's a great idea. You can do a martial art film. Then we started it. Uh, first draft was done by him. Uh, it was very brief, just to get money. And then I had Wang Huiling, the, the Chinese writer, to work on the script, back and forth. Who you work with on E-Train? Yeah. Was, was, current new film, too, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's transatlantic uh, writing ping pong. What is that? Through yeah. bad translation, lo lost yeah. in translation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, he's basically this weird, I, I would say a medium, but basically the scripts don't even get past him. It's very painful for him because uh, we go back and forth. But we've been doing this now for almost two decades. And, hmm. and, it's, um, and some of them, I, I, I really, I, on this, my, my draft was just, a, I thought it was really great. And uh, uh, Chinese people would literally read it and look at me with that, look that I now understand. <laughs> Um, which is when people are so polite and they're looking at you like, this guy is so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you wrote that? Is it? I mean, really, it was so crazy because I, I didn't know the wuxia genre. I didn't know the linguistic and the cultural side of it, but I wrote a very narrative 
uh, version of the story, which essentially in its broad strokes you'll see in the film, but it's literally, and I, I finally uh, described it as if uh, some Chinese guy wrote a John Wayne movie mm. where the guy walks into town and asks the sheriff and sees him and then kowtows ten times. <laughs> like that's normal, you know? You know, kind of that, and I did a lot of that. So they, it was a, that was a very, I think that was the hardest process you ever had to manage the, the yeah, transatlantic. Yeah, halfway into shooting it, that's the most terrible time I can remember making a movie. Not only this is very hard to make, um, but half, halfway into shooting, I was still working on the script. Uh, that, that's the hardest thing, um, working on the script and shooting at the same time. You don't know where it's going. I, I think uh, I just always want to do uh, action, but I started out doing domestic drama. Um, and then I got bored after the, the ice storm. Uh, you skip one movie, Ride with the Devil. That's the first time I tried action. Uh, boys with guns, <laughs> on horseback, um, and then get into this. Um, I, I, I don't know if it makes sense, because this is a B genre. Suppose you sit back eating popcorn right. and you don't think about it. Yeah. But when I actually try to carry out my childhood fantasy, uh, I'm dealing with a midlife crisis as well, and also a lot of mature, I mean, as a grown up, and as the way I make movie, I'm pretty much art house. I want to bring drama and historical stuff, culture, what I think is missing in today's Chinese culture, everything I try to stuff it in, right. into this one fantasy tale, where people fly. So I, I didn't really know what I was doing, actually. <laughs> I just jammed all of them. I tried to make yeah. sense of what this I tried to do. This is the theme for tonight, fear and ignorance. <laughs> they, they make sense to me. I don't know how the world's going to see. By that time, I have done uh, three English-language films that give me the cloud to require whatever I want in China and bigger budget, bigger allowance from bond, whoever, the money people, for this kind of production. Um, so it was possible. It's a unique case. So it's unprecedented. I, I, I don't have any example to learn from, or anybody can teach me how to, how to do anything. Uh, so th there was the, the movie. <laughs> That's movie making. So, and, and you jump from that into Hulk, which is a, so very similar to what you're talking about, where it's got the love of action movies, making a big, entertaining movie, but stuffed with real psychodrama, and very visually um, inventive in a way. It's, um, I don't think it um, has been appreciated for the, for the inventiveness of what you're doing. The image he smashed, uh, that was my wife's work. She's a really? microbiologist, medical biologist. <laughs> she worked late hours every day, worked longer hours than I, I do. Well, so, something great. I always wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> they ransacked the whole lab. <laughs> Um, could you talk about... But that's not the rage I have. The rage is something else. <laughs> no, no, well, talk about what this film was for you. It's, it was um, well, certainly I, your I, biggest production, I think the biggest production for yeah. Universal in, in its history. I'm very proud of the movie. Uh, I, I think the sales of the movie didn't yeah. give the, the film a good shot. It's really yeah. psychodrama. Yeah. If it can be, a, let's say, focused film, specialized <laughs> the film, and gradually platform, but that's not possible. Yeah. I guess uh, we have to have the first weekend. Well, after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, in one way I was racked, but on the other way, um, we both feel maybe it's time to try something bigger. Um, uh, 
we had thought of Terminator 3. But, oh, that's too much <laughs> emotional baggage. I mean, right. the good, uh, it's not original. You're not yeah. going to do any original. And then James smelled this project out of uh, Universal. He, he's thinking, uh, well, you can explain better what, what that is. And I pondered about it. I thought that would be the extension of what I do in China. Take a genre, a pulpy genre, and deal with the hidden psychology of the culture. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as a hidden dragon is to me the repressed sexuality, you know, what have you. Uh, so I think that's the emotional true to Chinese psychology, something I dig up from, let's say, the dark side of the moon, things we don't really see. So I, I'm into that, and I'm into pulpy. Uh, when I do something pulpy, it takes a lot of money, and you have to work with the system, and that was kind of the cake for me back then. So let's do something 10 times bigger. It was literally 10 times bigger. Uh, so there was the Hulk. Uh, James find out, you can tell the, what that come about. And then uh, he wrote the screenplay by himself. And we spent months talking about what, what we want to get into. But eventually, it's still father-son relationship. Yeah. It's still family drama, actually. Yeah. And, and could you talk a bit about what you were it's, trying it's to It's a great feeling making yeah. that movie uh, for two years. Mm -hmm. I feel each image I made yeah. in, on computer, I took 300 people with me. I put on the dress, the, the motion, dark, capture, motion suit. capture suit. You were wearing that. I, I, yeah. I play the Hulk. Really? It's my face, my body movement. Yeah. I, I was the Hulk. It's so therapeutic. Fun to be around. Every, every picture I work on is, is like... It's like artwork, it's like oil painting to me. I, I enjoy it so much, and ultimate freedom. Uh, people are saying that independence, supposed, when you have no money, you're, no, you're noble, you're independent. When you make a big movie, you sell out. It didn't happen to me. To me, that's the ultimate freedom. Even money is not an issue. You just do whatever you want. Ultimate indulgence, and then the Hulk sort of come out, and I sort of got what I was wishing for. And you took the idea of these comic book graphics to allow you to be very visually inventive. I mean, there's so much. It's a rhapsody. It's, it's, it, you're, starting from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I realized I'm out of things I'm familiar with to say. I started to get into subconsciousness. So the weighing of sense sensibility becomes a halt or lust and caution. And the weighing becomes like this. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm touching down like peeling onions layer by layer. Yeah. And it's getting scarier and scarier. And each time I make a movie like for the last four And more movies, ignorant and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> Something you don't know, and while you're doing it, think, this is the last movie I want to make. And, and it's I like there's no tomorrow. I was kind of getting in that, that zone. And he's still very supportive in, in writing and selling and inspiring <laughs> in every front. We, we had a funny experience with it because we, we pitched it as going to Universal and saying, we're going to take this Marvel property, and I'd, I'd written on some Marvel pictures before, and I did, had a great experience with that. Um, and we're going to go back to classic universal horror, the <laughs> darkest, you know, the coolest, the most repressed, and most kind of viciously psychological horror tradition you could find, and it's still in the studio system. And that was a wonderful thing, and everybody really bought into it. And as we were in pre-production, a little movie opened that had been made by Sony, another Marvel movie called Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> And it defined what a Marvel movie was. And I'll never forget going to see the picture and going, uh-oh, we are in trouble because there's no way, the expectation of what a Marvel picture is right. going to be. And I, I, 
Uh, and uh, we knew. And so the, the film was marketed as a Spider-Man movie uh, when we had made this kind of very dense, uh, yeah. creepy. And, and luckily, Universal made many, many more movies, far more expensive than this one. And the Hulk hands alone put it in the profit. You know, those Hulk hands, those big green hands. Um, uh, but it did become a kind of critical bad object. It has that kind of you know aura of like, wow, I, I kind of screwed up on that, uh, there. And and to me, it was that was part of the process of seeing how you're working in the culture and. Uh, going through it, and I did. The script did have a few jokes in it, <laughs> you know, it did. But it went to this wonderful place where I really, I, I, I truly believe now. And you look at it, um, uh, things that Aang was doing then. It wasn't that long ago. I, I thought it was very innovative. I'm so was. proud well, of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I'll, thought I'll it was going to wow people, but just seeing them react is. Well, one of the scary. things is it doesn't end. Uh, Spider-Man ends, as you know, uh, with a uh, close-up of an American flag, and. Um, as we were making this picture, of course, 9-11 happened. And, you know, this is a movie about a, something created by the American military-industrial complex, which then blows back and fights it in a desert <coughs> while Natasha Atlas music, Arab music, is on the soundtrack. Uh, so there was a little bit of like, whoa, what are these guys actually saying? Kind yeah. of feel at the time, it was a real, you know, this is, it seems like so long ago uh, when there was that kind of patriotic fervor that hit. And there was a subtext of we didn't really want to, you know, the guys being a little icky here. Uh, uh, it's a strange that. thing. Once I'm outside of America, everybody a- asks me about that, um, about the subtext. The, sub- the, middle, the, 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 the subtext about its relation to the politics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what is American fear? What do you think American right. today? What, you know, like everybody in the world except is talking Americans. about it except Americans. <laughs> Nobody asked me that yeah, question wasn't, there wasn't It's a strange thing. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It was really kind of a repressed... Can you figure out why? I, I, I just don't think it what people wanted to see that Make at the time. On the other hand, it actually... Too. I mean, this came out a year after. Yeah, and it, uh, while people were really getting in, you know, while we were getting yeah. starting to get bogged down there. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, it did end up being tracking, for example, African-American and Latino audiences was probably the biggest film of the year. So there was a sense of people that was communities African-American connected. African-American also yeah. hits pretty pretty big, I think. This yeah, this was a huge picture in those communities. I think they got the politics of it implicitly. Yeah. And there's, uh, it's a very strange experience for me. Yeah. By the time we release it, the studio seems to freak out. They're very nervous, yeah. and, and we're very nervous. But it seemed very in keeping. I mean, now looking at it, it seems very of a piece with all of your work. And, and uh, even in this time in watching all your films together, there was even so a connection with Brokeback Mountain because there's a moment, um, we're going to jump to that now, um, with Heath Ledger's character that almost... I always think he's going to turn into the Hulk, but instead what he does is get married. <laughs> uh, one thing I thought was just seeing this, it must have been sort of liberating for you to be making a film just out in nature after doing this heavy computer graphics studio film. Uh, these two, Hulk and, and yeah. Brokeback, came about the same time, yeah. a similar time. Hmm. If Hulk didn't happen, I, I might have done that. Hmm. Uh, that tells you it doesn't matter... No, I don't have a plan. Right. Next one, it has to be big or Chinese. Like, I, I didn't really have a plan. Yeah. Uh, I can do the smallest or biggest Hulk. Um, so I chose to do the Hulk. I feel it's, I, I was in the mood to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I broke back after I was racked. I was further racked <laughs> doing the Hulk. And I finally, uh, it was it deal with the anger and, and deal with the agony of releasing the film. I blow up finally the father image. Um, a few months after that, my father passed away. Uh, I was really erect, and I, physically, I just feel very ill. And James got that right. Uh, broke back. Uh, he can tell the story. And I said to James, "I'm not sure if I can you know, 
finish this. I don't know what my condition is. Uh, if you want me to do it, I, you have to promise one thing, don't make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I even joke about you, you won't like me when I'm angry. I'm, I'm kind of racked. I just cannot take any more excitement. Uh, when my father, shortly before my father passed away, he said, go ahead and make another movie. For the first time, he encouraged you to make a movie. Mm. So I thought, I, I picked this one, I see how far it goes. And James uh, kept his promise. Anything gets in my way, he'll try to deal with that. He was very hands-off, this one, with me. Uh, he always gave me what I, I need. I need quietness, I need to recover from the previous two movies, or whatever that accumulate to that point. I need to uh, love everybody around me, myself. I need to have peace with my own body. All that, I sort of use that to come back. If I'm doing nothing, stay home, it's nerve-wracking to me. I'm getting more sensitive. Mm -hmm. So that movie sort of brought me back to health, uh, to, to health uh, and mm -hmm. also my love to filmmaking and people. It basically finished the day. The shooting style is very simple. goes back to how I shot Pushing Hand. I feel mm -hmm. like I was relearning, restart mm -hmm. the career and relearn how to make movies. And for the first time, I felt sometimes I felt I was kind of mature. That was a good decision. I didn't use much of the, you know, and solve that problem, deal with that. And I felt pretty much at ease. Just make the days, uh, try to keep within budget. And after the Hulk, uh, actually, we went quite a few million over. That was nothing to me. James, oh, a few millions, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he greenlit. He had focus back then. He greenlit uh, the picture, and he was very supportive, and hands off. Just try to get rid of problem I might run into, or any potential conflict. It was a bliss. I, I never feel so happy and so much love on set in making a movie. I was really at ease. I think uh, the movie is what it is, and I think people appreciate my modesty. That's not forced. That's like a fall. I was so exhausted, I fall back to mm. that. So that was the mood I make this movie. Uh, you know, it's very unique working experience. And in terms of the, the screenplay, the, the going from, from the, uh, this short story and ex expanding in a way, could you talk a bit about what was what was he added? Because one no, thing that's actually... It's Larry um, it, Diana right, did, did the Larry yeah. McMurtry and Diana Sonic yeah. did the screenplay. But um, adding the family drama again, I mean, more of the, the family and the um, actually female characters is one thing that's expanded in the in the adaptation. And that was definitely on Aang's. We, we really, uh, I had tried to make the movie for six years as an independent producer at Good Machine uh, with a number of different directors and it was, was no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Um, and it was a very, it was a great script. It was pretty, and, and then when we got focused together and suddenly I was the asshole on the other side of the desk saying no thank you and then I go, <laughs> uh oh, I guess I have to say thanks, yeah. Um, there was that weird moment of like, talk, back to fear. Um, as a motif with when Aang came on, but then Aang's direction really expanded the children and the family, the whole thing. I think it gave their, not because it was like, oh, let's have more women's drama in the movie. It legitimized not, it, it the story. It gave their relationship yeah. a centrality in a way that it might not otherwise have had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're gonna um, jump now to the, to the current film, which is just opened in theaters here, Lust Caution, which is um, just an amazing movie. And, and, um, just to set it up, we'll see a scene from it first and then talk a, a little bit about it. Basically, there's two characters. Um, Tony Lung plays a spy who, working for the Japanese government, just occupying China. And, and um, 
and Tang Wei um, gives an amazing performance as um, she's part of the resistance and she's supposed to, just like Ingrid Bergman and Notorious, sort of court him in order to um, get rid of him. But the smoking that got us the SC-17, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> the way she smokes. And it's just that did it. They just went crazy at the MPA. Um, but it is amazing. I mean, she's playing this role. She's a young student and just a... The good girl played bad girl. Yeah, she's playing. I I mean, these performances, you're not going to see better performances all year than than these two. Because it's all a film about acting and about the whole idea of performance. Um, Tony Lung, and I believe that Tang Wei is here. Tang Wei right here. Tang Wei. Please stand up. Just, just like in the, just like in the movie, by the way, out of uh, ten thousand um, actresses who applied for the job, this is her first film, <laughs> very first movie. It's unbelievable, and as, as, as I said, everything, um, everything is about this whole question of acting, about fear of, of because you don't know what the other person is up to, and and the sex in the film, which is what has been in the press so much is all about the same idea. I mean, yeah, that, that it's about it's, performance. Yeah. Which in some ways, I think sex is about performance. I, I don't know if you agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this film, it, and it's very different than Brokeback, because it's, it's a very different approach. And to me, they're something. like sister movies, somehow. Hmm. Both of them very short, short, brilliant short stories, written by gutsy, brilliant woman writer, and then we expand to, well, I expand to, <laughs> to uh, a feature length, a length, a pretty lengthy feature length film. Yeah. Uh, they're both about, at heart to me, a romantic love, the impossible romantic love. Uh, however, I think Brokeback is more of a vague idea. It's, it's pure. Uh, when they're in Brokeback Mountain, they didn't know what happened. It's like Eden. And then they try the next 20 years, try to get back. They can't, they missed it. So it's more like idea of heaven, and this is the hell to me, um, like down dirty and real, and and, 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 the, and Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and could you uh, just talk about the experience of working on? Because this uh, was an adaptation that you worked on, and again, as Ang said, a very short story, I think twenty-eight pages. Um, the original story. So could you talk about this? I I start work on the. Screenplay with Wang Kuiling for a few drafts, and then translate to James because he's producing it. See if this time we don't need James to touch it up. Uh, <laughs> guess what happened? <laughs> um, and then back and forth. Um, th- this time, because the experience I had before, uh, I was more hands-on. Make sure James' great ideas um, that upgrades the movie, and also enhance in a dramatic way that no Chinese writer would dare to touch Eileen Chang's story, like the stabbing right. scene. Like, it's a great idea. I know you're going to wake up the audience in the middle of the movie, but Eileen Chang didn't write that. Yeah. Uh, so we had that fear, but it's proven for the movie, it's, it's worth it. It's a great idea. Things like that. Uh, but other than that, he, he's just such a superior, um, genre writer, the dialogue, the smart dialogue, the situations, the mood. 
So he touch up and go through Huiling Wang, me being in the middle, back and forth, back and forth. Um, there's only, but we were, the script was in very good shape, I think, before we start shooting, uh, based on the, the, the fearful experience I had with Crouch Attacking Inside. I want to make sure that doesn't happen again. Except that one speech, the monologue, um, one judge is given. Yeah, when, when, uh, when Tang Wei tells uh, Old Wu and Kong Yimin, her handlers, just what's going on in her mind during all the sex and how she wants them to come in and kill Tony Wong and that kind of crazy speech. We, we worked for extensively on that. In the first yeah. few drafts, this is not even in there. Yeah. Uh, once it's there, he writes, she writes, he writes, she writes. And, but basically, I have to know how the third sex scene landed mm-hmm. before I can touch it. Only I know what happened. Only I experienced the intensity of the shooting the sex scenes. So that's happened earlier in the shooting, five-month shooting schedule. I figure I have to do that in Hong Kong before I go to China. And also, without that, I don't know how to craft the second half. Yeah. So those, the sex scenes are very important for me. The sex scenes really inform the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, so I did the sex scenes, and I talked to them again. But nobody experienced what I experienced except me and the actors. So at the end, that speech, I have to finalize it. I, it happened. I struggled with it for a couple of months, and finally, uh, sort of nailed it. I think nailed it two weeks before shooting. That's toward the end of shoot. Um, it, it's, it, I think this time it goes much smoother than the other. Yeah. Among the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end. I think we're all eager to know what you're going to be afraid of next to do your next <laughs> film. Uh, you know, you know what he was afraid of? He found out like five minutes before he got stage. They pay $25 to come? Yeah. Like, uh-oh, we'd better be entertaining. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but you see a member's paid less. So. You see a member's paid less. Yeah. <laughs> you take- <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.